0: Many of you know we're starting a new message series this morning called Keys of the Kingdom. And uh, if you're new here, we are especially glad you're here. Uh, At the start of this series, um, we've already jumped into that at 9 o'clock. We'll do that again here at 11. I think it'll be helpful for us to go through this series together. So let's just jump right in. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, or your reading device, whatever you're reading Scripture on, let's jump in this morning. Jesus says to his close followers and people standing around in John chapter 8, John chapter 8, 31, he said, So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, so these are followers he's talking to, If you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Uh, It sounds, when he says that, a little bit like what I used to hear teachers say in school, you know, when teachers are wanting you to remember something. Remember what they used to say? You need to pay attention. Write this down. This is going to be on the test. Yeah, you heard you had the same teacher, maybe. They always want you to know what you should remember. Jesus wants us to know the truth. He wants us to know what he's teaching so that we'll know the truth because he wants us to be free. So the next few weeks, we're going to be learning about freedom that comes with being in the kingdom of God. The best way for us to do that Jesus said often, as he was teaching his own disciples, he said, you really need to be like little children. They, They, at one point, were trying to keep children from coming to him and bothering him. And he said, no, 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 they're no bother. In fact, you really need to be like children. You need to have the mind of children who know how to receive from their fathers and mothers and respond to their love. The kingdom of God is as simple as that, he said. And so in, in light of that, the, I thought it might be good for us to look at a couple of things uh, that children have written, so we can to get in tune with the way children think. So a couple of notes I'll read to you. Here's one from Jenny. She said, Dear God, would you please put another holiday between Christmas and Easter? There's just nothing good in there now. And so she's asking God for a little provision, isn't she? Here's one that's anonymous, maybe a good idea. It's anonymous. Uh, this one says, Dear God, please send Dennis Clark to a different camp next year. So maybe, maybe there's a need. Anybody know Dennis Clark? Uh, let's keep going. going. Uh, here's another one. It says, Dear God, we read, uh, we, we read Thomas Edison made light, but in Sunday school, they said you did it. So I bet he stole your idea. And here's one from Jonathan. He said, Dear God, if you had let the dinosaurs not become extinct, we would not have a country. You did the right thing. <laughs> so, uh, so what do you think? Do you, do you think God has done the right thing? Do you think he knows what he's doing? Do you, do you all agree with that? Do we, think, do we trust that God is telling the truth and that he knows what he's doing? I I agree. I think he is telling us the truth, and he does know what he's doing. So for the next few weeks, we're going to focus on the reality of the kingdom of God and what God says and what he's doing and receive it so that we live in that truth and that reality and we experience what Jesus said we would experience, that we would be set free. Jesus said to his closest followers, I'm going to give you keys to the kingdom, keys of the kingdom of God, so that you'll know what the kingdom of God is like and you'll be able to live in that reality. The first time he said that to them, they were in a place called Caesarea Philippi. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew 16. You can find this in Matthew 16, verse 13. We'll read there in just a moment. But let me set the context, because it's important for you to know where they were and why he said what he said and what he was doing when he said it. They were in Caesarea Philippi. At that time and place, this was Caesarea Philippi represented maybe the most worldly place, one of the most worldly places on the planet. It's, it's every form of sin and separation from God is happening in Caesarea Philippi. Um, the god Pan, the Greek god Pan, is known to, is thought to have lived there. It's, it, it, there's a, a river that flows out of the base of ma- the mountain at Caesarea Philippi into the city still does to this day. And the mouth of that river, the opening of that place is known as the, uh, is thought to have been the entrance to the underworld. The god Pan is there, he's, He's supposed to be there, and he, he's a very uh, world incredibly sinful, you know, very connected to the kingdom of the world. And everything about Caesarea Philippi has that about it. It's that kind of place. So Jesus chooses this place, saying, Everything around you that you see represents the kingdom of the world. And then he asks his disciples a question. In, John, in Matthew chapter 16. Once they got there, he said, he asked the question, and this is a very important question, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist and others Elijah, but still others say, uh, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the Son of of the living God. And Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar Jonah, which means Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I will say to you that you, that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. Jesus is recognizing that Peter has spoken truth, that from the Holy Spirit revealed to Peter the truth is that Jesus is the Son of God. He is the King of kings, and he is the Lord of lords. He is the Messiah. And Peter's confessing that truth about who he is. And then Jesus goes on to say what we're going to be talking about over the next few weeks. He goes on to say, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. I think the first key of the kingdom that Jesus is recognizing and is calling out here is who he is. And the truth about who he is and the confession that when you know the truth when you know the truth and you live in the truth of who jesus is you will have his truth and you will live in the kingdom of god as you live by that confession and by who he is and continue to receive his teaching and live in it that was his promise in john chapter 8. And so Simon Peter confessed the truth about who Jesus is. And he received that truth from the Holy Spirit, Jesus says. Now, some of you have studied this passage a lot and you have a good understanding of it. Others of you are probably sitting here going, well, what's he talking about? The keys that, keys that bind and loose and heaven and earth and Hades. And we're going to talk about some of those things as we continue in this series. But first, let's just talk about the reality of the kingdom of God. Now, when I say the kingdom of God throughout this series, or any time I say it, I'm also talking about the kingdom of heaven. Sometimes in the book of Matthew, the, the writer Matthew, the disciple Matthew, talks it calls it the kingdom of heaven, which makes some people think we won't experience the kingdom of God until we get to heaven. But that's not true at all, because interchangeably are the terms the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. So I may use either term. It both means the same thing. When I talk about the kingdom of heaven, I'm talking about the kingdom of God and vice versa. So he's, in in the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, here's the definition of it. Very simple. Wherever or in whomever Jesus is king, there is the kingdom of God. So we could say easily right now, because God is here, the presence of God is here, Jesus is here. He is king. We've been worshiping him. We're looking at his word in this place and in this time. And in those of us in whom dwell the presence of God. In this place. This is the kingdom of God. And in our lives. The kingdom of God is in me. And I am in the kingdom of God. Wherever Jesus or in whomever Jesus is king. That's the kingdom of God. Very simple, really. Now, for those of us who grew up, grew up in this country, which is maybe all of us in this room, perhaps, some of you may have grown up in other countries or in other places, and maybe you've experienced monarchies or actual kingdoms where there's a king or a queen on a throne, ruling and reigning, and everyone are their subjects. It's a very different form of government than what we're used to. So we understand it intellectually, but we've never really experienced it, most of us never really experienced living in that kind of kingdom or in that kind of reality. When you live in that kind of reality, it's a completely different context. So it's important for us to understand the kingdom of God, that Jesus is king. He is not just a king, he is the king. He is the king of kings he is the lord of lords he's not just a lord he is the lord of lords if we miss this we we could miss the kingdom all all together or at the very least we could we could experience life with god but miss the reality and the blessing and, and the fullness of life that is available to us as we live in the truth of the kingdom of god that's why jesus was comparing and contrasting the two kingdoms in john chapter 10 Verse 10. He said, he's talking about the kingdom of the world here. He says, the the thief, who's he talking about? He's talking about Satan, right? The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. That's the kingdom of the world. He said, but I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. That's the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of the world, there's death, destruction, and all kinds of other things that lead to death. In the kingdom of God, there's life. And Jesus goes on to say, I want you to, I came, I came so that you would have life in all of its fullness. So two kingdoms, kingdom of God, kingdom of the world. Opposite and opposed to one another. So so why is all this? And how does it work? And when did all this begin, you ask? Well, I'm glad you asked because we're going to talk about it. Uh, once upon a time, in a you know say this with me, in a land far, far away, there lived a king. And he was and is the king of the universe. His name is Jesus. Again, in a kingdom, we've already talked about this. There's a king or queen who rules. And when God created the world, Jesus was king he still is and then god created mankind and gave us dominion now listen carefully don't miss this god created the world with jesus and the holy spirit father son the holy spirit created the world and all that we see jesus is king of it he gives us mankind dominion or rule over the earth and we rule under not in place of but under his lordship under his kingship under his dominion he's given us dominion he says go and and rule over the earth and subdue it manage it steward it for the glory of god that's what he said to mankind as he created all that we know is created so let's just read it let's see what happens here in genesis chapter 1 verse 1 turn there in your bibles in the beginning god created the heavens and the earth The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. And then God said, let there be light, and there was light. Now, look and see what happens in the first three verses of the Bible. In the first three verses of the Bible already, we have identified, God has identified himself as there's God, there's the Holy Spirit, and when God speaks or when there's light, we always know that represents Jesus. So in the first three verses of the Bible, you have God, you have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and in the first three verses of the Bible, you have everything that's needed to have life. You have the heavens, you have earth, you have water, and you have light. So, all of the basic elements for life in all of its fullness, both physically and spiritually, exist and are identified in the first three verses of the Bible. Pretty cool, isn't it? Everything for life. Not for death, but for life. Because that's who God is, and that's what He wants for us. That's why He created us. So, from the beginning of time, that's what God wants. In the garden, if you read the story, you'll notice there are trees and there's a river. Probably a lot like Wichita, wouldn't you say? Anybody, anybody with me on that? Wichita, Garden of Eden? I don't know. What do you think? Nah. <laughs> oh, come on, go with me. Um, in the garden, God created, and you have this in your notes, God created a tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and the tree of life. Now, we're going to look at what God's Word has to say about that, but God had very specific instructions to Adam and Eve as to how to manage their lives and how to live life in the Garden of Eden and what or what not to do with the tree of knowledge of good and evil and with the other trees in the garden. He says, so let's read it, Genesis chapter 2, verse 9. Out of the ground the Lord caused to grow every tree that's pleasing to the sight and good for food, the tree of life, also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now skip down to verse 15, chapter 2. Then the Lord took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat for in the day that you eat from it you will surely die then god created woman and so that man would not be alone they're together and he places them together to serve god and to have dominion over the earth over all the plants and the trees and the And all tending the garden and life in all of its fullness with God and oneness with Him, and everything is perfect, perfect. The end of chapter two, verse twenty-five. He says, "For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked, and were not ashamed." Just imagine. It's perfection. It's total intimacy with God and with one another. There's nothing hidden here. There's no fear. There's no no shame. There's no condemnation. It's life in all of its fullness. It's perfect, complete, amazing heaven on earth. This is the kingdom of God he's describing here. They're living in the kingdom of God in all of its fullness. And then in Genesis chapter 3, everything changes. In the first part of the chapter, we have Satan arriving on the scene, and he shows up in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, if you have your notes, I want to encourage you to get them out. You're going to want to follow along. Maybe take some notes on your own, because you won't be able to remember all of this, perhaps. Perhaps. And I want you to have this so that it becomes clear and so that you understand how this works. So Satan shows up, and he told the woman, and Adam was with her. He says, by the way, God has not been telling you all the truth. He's been holding out on you. He hasn't told you everything. Isn't it amazing, so ironic, that the father of lies, Jesus calls Satan in John chapter 8, is now calling God a liar. The father of lies looks and says, God the Father, who is the source of all truth, is lying to you. When in reality, Satan was the one who was lying, wasn't he? God's withholding something from you. And he knows on the day you eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you'll be like God. You're not going to die. It's not true. God's lying. And so they looked at the tree. They wanted to be like God. They wanted to do things their own way. And so they... Ate from the tree let's read it genesis 3 verse 6 when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and it was delight to the eyes and the tree was desirable for making one wise she took from its fruit and ate and she gave also to her husband and with her and he ate then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings now They go into hiding. So, what's going on? On your notes, under the tree of knowledge of good and evil, just write good and evil. At this point, it's the first time in the history of the world where we end up, where we have something that God did never intend to happen. When Adam and Eve decided to eat from the tree of good and evil, and their eyes were opened, what is the first thing that happens? They look at one another, and they realize not what the other one looks like, but they realize that they, personally, I am naked. I am exposed. I now am ashamed of what you may or may not think of me. And so now, for the first time in the world, we have shame shame enters and they go into hiding and now they're hiding they're shaming they're and and then when god comes to walk with them and talk with them like he always has he shows up and they're hiding from him and he says why are you hiding did you eat from the tree i told you not to eat from and adam says yes god that woman you gave me what just happened? Blame. Blame entered the world. So now we have shame and we have hiding, which leads to isolation, and we have blaming. Now, it's always going to be somebody else's fault, isn't it? When something goes wrong, what's the first thing we ask? Who did it? Whose fault is it? Let's find somebody to blame. Let's pile on them, right? That's what happens. Another thing that happens is rejection and abandonment. Hope you can read that. That says abandonment. (laughs) Trust me. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden now, because we're living in this tree of good and evil, now we know the difference between good and evil Now, we try to do all we can. Doing becomes what we are all about. And what we're trying to do is we're trying to be good and avoid evil. So you know what we do? when we're trying to do good and avoid evil? And why are we trying to do that? Because we don't want to experience shame, and we want, to, we want to try to come out of hiding. We don't want anybody to blame us for anything. We certainly don't want to feel any more rejection, and we don't want to feel abandonment. So we feel like we, be- we begin to believe the, the lie that if we do enough good, we'll be good enough for God to love us. Anybody ever feel that way? Anybody? Anybody? That be- so all of a sudden now, instead of just being who God created us to be, being good becomes the goal. Write this down. Being good is not the goal. Being good is not the goal. We believe that we, begin- that we have to start working for love. Love. You ever feel that way? I have to do enough. I have to be good enough. I have to earn it. I have to earn God's love. Because I'm so I'm always feeling shame and I'm feeling the sense of abandonment. And I know that God's rejected me, or I believe that He has. And so it becomes about all, all about what we do, what we can do. Along with this, we have pride. We think we're doing a pretty good job once in a while. And now, now we've got a false identity. Because of what we're doing. Now our identity gets wrapped up in what we know. Or who we know. Or how good we are. Or what we drive. Or what we wear. Or what we look like. Or what we don't look like. Or, or, any no, how many degrees we have behind, and titles we have behind our names it it gets attached to all this doing and trying to be good and trying to avoid all of these things and try to earn and all of a sudden a whole false identity somebody that god never created you to be begins to emerge and you begin to believe we begin to believe that's who we are you strip away what we do guys what happens Better ever lose your job? What do you begin to feel? You begin to feel like a nobody. Right? A failure. And you begin to feel ashamed. And you go into hiding. And you start blaming that crummy boss that fired you. Or you feel the rejection. And now you feel abandonment. And you believe everybody else is going to do this to you. This, friends, this is the kingdom of the world. Who created this system? Is this from God? If it's not from God, who's it from? Satan. The Bible says Satan is the prince of this world. He's the king of the world, you might say. Now, how does that work? Because, remember, Jesus is king, but he gave us dominion over the world. When we ate from the tree, when Adam and Eve ate from the tree of good and evil, the knowledge of good and evil, we gave dominion to Satan. And he took it. Now, how is it supposed to work? This is the kingdom of God. Here. The way this works is God invites us. He says, in, in fact, even as Christians a lot of times, you know what happens? You know what happens as Christians? You know what we begin to believe? We begin to believe that all we have to do is switch the sides of the tree. I was evil, now I'll be good. But what God is saying is, that's still doing, and it's still dependent on you. Why don't you come and be with me? Just be with me. Be my son. Be my daughter. Just be with me. Be my be we'll put it this way be god's child and in this tree here's what we experience when we live life with god we learn to receive so we receive his love that's where it all begins doesn't it we receive his love love and when we really begin to receive God's love, it encourages us to come out of hiding. And it encourages us to realize that I don't have to be ashamed. God loves me. And so we respond to God's love, we receive His adoption. How awesome is that? I'm a child of God, I don't have to experience abandonment. I can be adopted. I don't have to be rejected. I'm loved. I'm loved by God. Who cares what anybody else thinks? God loves me. We get to receive His truth. That's what we're talking about today. We get to receive his will, and his desire for us, which leads us to understand our purpose. You ever ask the question, God, why am, why am I here? What am I doing here? What's my purpose? What if, what if we live here receiving and just being, being loved and responding to his love, being adopted, and responding to being somebody. Guess what? Instead of false identity, when you get adopted, you live in the truth of who your identity is, your true identity. Now, here, it's going to require us to be humble. So it's going to try. It's going to require humility. But as we humble ourselves, as we be with God, what we're going to do is we're going to receive His provision. And we're going to receive His protection. We're going to experience His blessing. Now that's life, isn't it? This is trying to bootstrap myself through life. Trying to be good enough. Believing that being good is the goal. This is receiving and responding. Receiving God's love and responding. Now, we understand how this works. And we understand it best when we watch children. That's why Jesus said, Let the little children come to me, for such is the kingdom of heaven. Anybody ever heard the term failure to thrive? You ever heard that term? Scientifically, if we want to use that word, if it matters to us this morning, scientifically proven that children who grow up in places, orphanages or homes or wherever can be given every single resource they need to sustain their physical life. They can be given ample food, shelter, clothing, warmth, information, education, everything they might need, but if they're not given love, if they're not hugged and held and loved, if they don't know that they're loved, they won't thrive. And some will not survive even physically some will die even though they're given all the food all the clothing all the shelter every all the resources they need if they're not given love and if they don't receive love they will die we watch this with our grandchildren it's so fun to watch them respond to our love yesterday David and Lauren came for lunch, brought the girls, and Hazel came running to me, going, Papa, Papa. And she came to the door. I was working out on the porch, and I opened the door, and she put her arms up, and I grabbed her, and I hugged her, and she squeezed my neck, and I said, Oh, Hazel, I love you so much. And she came back, held my face, I love you too, Papa. And she's two why why does she respond the way she does because she knows she's loved and she receives it it's not all that complicated really is it now someday my prayer is that someday when hazel grows up she will never learn that the goal is to be good that she will never learn to experience shame rejection, and abandonment. I pray she'll never experience that. But I know, because she lives in the world we all live in, and we live in the kingdom of the world, even though we're not a part of the kingdom of the world, I know there will be those moments when her friends pick on her. When the systems of the world will engage. And we all experience that to some degree every day, don't we? And friends, that's why it's so important for us to live here. The kingdom of God. Here and now. In the world, not of the world. So, back to your outline. In the kingdom of God, Jesus is king in the kingdom of the world Satan is prince or king the Bible says let's read a couple passages of scripture this is Jesus speaking in John chapter 12 just a few hours before he's going to gather with his disciples in the last supper and prepare for his arrest and crucifixion in John 12 31 he says now judgment is upon this world Watch his language here. Now judgment is upon this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men to myself. You see what he's saying? When people understand my love, when people understand the love that it required for him to climb on a cross... We are drawn to that love, aren't we? We want to receive his love. Ephesians 2, Paul says, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. That's what happens here, isn't it? We even count sins. We think they're being held against us. And it brings death. It brings a weight that leads to death. Death in relationships, death in our hearts, death in our minds. Even in our bodies, I read a study just recently put out by uh, Mayo Clinic. Did you know that unforgiveness, they've done a study that 60% of the people who carry around unforgiveness wind up being cancer victims in their hospital. We carry this around and we try to carry it on our own and it leads to death, doesn't it? You were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you formerly walked, according to the course of this world. According to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that's now working in the sons of disobedience. Paul's talking about this world, the kingdom of the world. Secondly, the kingdom of God is eternal. This will last forever. It always has been. It is. It always will be. This kingdom will pass away. Everything in this kingdom is temporary. We hang so much importance on this. You know what God created when he created the earth? He also created time and space. And in time and space, we get all hung up and worried about what's going on in time and space, don't we? In time and place, right? Anybody else here feel like you're a slave to your calendar or your schedule? Oh, there's two of us in the room. Come on, come on, right? So we believe that that's so important, don't we? Did you ever, this is, did you ever get sick and have to stay in bed and stay at home and just rest for two or three days? And at the end of it, you would never admit this. You'd never say it out loud. But at the end of it, you go, oh, it was so nice to just have three days off. You ever feel that way? I would, I'd like to have the three days off and not be sick. But it was sure nice to have a break. Why do we think schedule is so important? It's a part of this world. It's part of this system. God says, just come and be. Just come and be with me. At the end of our lives, I've talked to a lot of people. At the end of life, I had a lunch just this week with Marvin Martin, mentor of mine, 90 years old. You know, the only thing he regrets is not spending enough time with his kids and his wife. The only thing he regrets. Kingdom of this world, or the kingdom of God, we enter the kingdom of God through Jesus' rescue operation. Because the reality is, we're stuck here because we're born into this kingdom. We're born into this one, and we've gotta get rescued. We can't get out of this one on our own. We know this system so well, we think this way, we talk this way, we, we relate this way, we understand this so well that if we get out of the kingdom of the world, it feels like we're in a foreign country for a while. And we, need, we just need God to rescue us. We need Jesus to rescue us out of this so that we can experience the reality and the truth of his love. And the more you do, the more you begin to feel comfortable in a whole new world. The kingdom of God but we need to be rescued out of that. In 1 John chapter 2, the Apostle John, who who liked to refer to himself as the the one Jesus loves. It wasn't an arrogant statement. You know what it was? It was him. I've received God's love, and I just can't get over it. You know what? Me too. I don't ever want to get over it. I'm the one Jesus loves too. He said the world is passing away. This one is passing away. And also it's lusts. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. Now there's lots of questions about the kingdom that we'll we'll cover over the next few weeks together. But let me show you what Jesus has to say in John chapter 18. Just follow along with me. In John 18, starting in verse 36, Jesus answered, My kingdom, this one here, is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, by the way, in this discourse, he's talking to Pilate. He's talking to Pilate, who has, he thinks, Pilate thinks, he has the ability to pass judgment on him, So this is part of his trial, ongoing. Is he going to? Are they going to crucify him or not? He says, "My kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom, if my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting, so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm." Therefore, Pilate said to him, "So you are a king." Jesus answered, "You say correctly that I am a king. For this I have been born." and for this i have come into the world to testify to the what the truth the truth of who he is the truth about the kingdom of god the truth everyone who is of the truth hears my voice you know, isn't it amazing that we can be in going along in life having conversations with somebody and, and sometimes we'll say things like, you know, I've always just kind of got this voice whispering in my ear trying to tempt me to do something I shouldn't be doing. Or, Anybody ever say that or feel that way? We, we recognize that voice because we recognize this world. But when you're in this kingdom, you have no problem hearing the voice of God. In John 17, Jesus is praying. This is just a few moments before he was arrested, tried, convicted, falsely, and crucified. And so he's praying. This is known as the priestly prayer of Jesus in John 17. He's actually praying for you and for me. In John 17, verse 13, he said, but now I come to you, he's talking to God here, and these things I speak in the world so that they may have my joy made full in themselves you see what jesus wants for you you see what he wants he's praying i gave them your word and the world has hated them because they're not of the world even as i'm not of the world i don't ask that you take them out of the world but to keep them from the evil one. He's asking for our protection. They're not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word, your teaching, your ways are true. As you sent me into the world, I have also sent them into the world for their sakes I sanctify myself that they themselves may also be sanctified made holy set apart that's what that means in truth now with those eyes and different understanding different ears perhaps let's see again what he says in John chapter 8 this is the first thing I read when we started this morning john chapter 8 verse 31 jesus said to those jews who believed in him if you continue in my word then you are truly my disciples see what he's saying when you receive my truth when you receive the reality of who i am and what i teach then you will know the truth and the truth will make you free friends jesus has a key he has keys to the kingdom for every single one of us you know most of us have keys to our car or keys to our house even though you may not use keys to your house you have them right And when you're given keys to your house, that means you're given access to your house. Wouldn't it be silly if you were handed keys to your house, but you lived outside in a tent? He says, yeah, I know I've got keys, and I can go in if I want, but I'm just going to stay out here. Who does that? When you're given keys, you're given access. Jesus is giving you access. And it's up to us to simply receive and step into the kingdom. To receive His truth and leave this world and step into the kingdom. Just like a child. If a child's father said, honey, just come here. I'll take care of you. I'll hold you. I'll provide for you. I'll protect you. I'll love you. You'll experience love and you'll live and you'll have life in all of its fullness. Just step over here. That's what God is saying to us. He's done everything. He's done to make this possible so we can have life. gives you the keys he says just receive it and leave the rest up to me and that's what he wants for everybody not just for us for everybody and the freedom and the joy and the blessing and provision and the identity and all that comes with it Would you bow your heads with me? Close your eyes. When we read Matthew chapter 16, Jesus asked his disciples a very important question. And I believe he's asking each one of us the same question right now. He asked them, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And Peter spoke up and said, you're you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. How do you answer that question in your life? Not in your head as information, but in your heart as a reality for you. As he asks you that question, who do you say that I am? Are you ready to step from the kingdom of the world and into the kingdom of God? Father, as we bow before you, many of us are saying to you, God, I want what you have. I want to be in the kingdom of God. Because I've experienced enough of the death and the destruction and the loneliness and abandonment and rejection and shame. I've had my fill of that. And It is a dead-end deal, and it leads to death of all kinds. So God, I want to receive what you have for me. I want to receive what you have, your truth, who you are, Jesus, as my king. I'm going to receive your blessing and your provision and your truth and all that you want to pour into my life. I need your grace. I need you, God. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, if that's you and you're sitting here today and you've never prayed that prayer, if you've never stepped into the kingdom before, would you just raise your hand and say, that's me, I'm stepping into the kingdom. Praise God, thank you. Praise God. If you're here this morning and you're, you're saying, God, I've been trying to live out my life, but I've still been, I've had one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom, and I I want to step fully and completely into life with you. If that's your prayer, would you raise your hand this morning? Praise God, amen. Thank you. Thank you. Father, you see our hearts. You see our lives. You hear us when we pray. Thank you, God. Thank you that that's always true, that you always hear a prayer of someone who says, God, I want you. I need you. I'm going to receive what you have. Lord, many of us here today have said, that's what I need and that's what I want. I'm going to step into that truth and I'm going to live in the kingdom of God. And I want the kingdom of God to live in me. So Lord, lead us from this moment so that we are hearing your voice, we're following your leadership, receiving everything you have for us to receive. That's our prayer, Father, and we're thankful that you've even helped us pray that prayer. That you're involved in all of it, that none of it's possible without you and your work. That the work has been done and you're still doing it in us, leading us to you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. In a minute, we're going to sing one more song and I'm gonna ask you to stand. And as I do, I wanna encourage you that there'll be people here to pray with you. So if you want to come and pray, pray for a step you've just taken, or pray for anything at all, any need at all, we'll be here to pray with you. I wanna encourage you to do that as we come and receive what God has for us. And then at the end of the service, if you raised your hand and said, yeah, I'm stepping into the kingdom, for the first time or i'm taking another step and i want to give you a book that you can read to help you take some more of those steps to help you begin to grow and experience more and more of the reality of relationship with god in his kingdom so what i want you to do is after our worship time and our prayer time i want you to come and see me i want to give you a book and help you take all of the next steps that you need to take so let's stand together if god's speaking to you and you need to come and pray pray with someone there'll be someone here to pray with you or pray for, pray about anything at all and come and let's have this time in prayer together as we sing this last worship song